1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. You can follow along in your Bibles or listen as I read. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot, foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. A couple of points I want to make, uh, make here. We're going to address some points in the sermon today, but I'm not going to cover or I'm not going to be able to cover every single phrase that is in this passage. There are a couple of phrases that I will talk about or deal with in the sermon discussion on Wednesday. And that last phrase where it says, I will show you the most excellent way, I'll connect that in terms of chapter 13 because that's really a transition between what we're reading here in chapter 12 and what we will be reading in chapter 13 next week. So I'll try to connect all that next week and we'll go through that. But I want to focus this week more on this, this topic of spiritual gifts. We're in talking about how spiritual gifts are for the common good, part two of that. And so I want to focus more on that. And so let me come to those specific items or those specific points. Now the reference to specific gifts of persons, right? So in verse 28, we're seeing God is placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers. He's speaking about people, persons that are given as gifts 
to the church. And that may remind you of Ephesians chapter 4, when we studied in Ephesians, where a similar point is made about the gift of persons for the building up of the church. And it's important, it's, it's useful for us to just reread those verses because it helps us to reinforce the truth and it helps us to remember or to realize that the way that the Lord does this, the truth of the Lord coming up in these ways, it's not just in one passage of scripture, multiple passages of scripture, multiple reinforcements of these same principles. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, it says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what is that passage in Ephesians telling us? Why did Christ give gifts? So that the body of Christ will be built up. How are we built up? When each one of us does what the Lord has asked us to do when we exercise our spiritual gifts, and most importantly, when we love and serve each other. And what happens when the body is built up like that? What does 1 Corinthians 12 tell us? When each one of us are led by the Holy Spirit, exercise spiritual gifts for the sake of others, and truly love each other, then we have a sense of belonging to each other. We recognize the equal and indispensable value of the other person. We're not jealous about someone and of what's going on with them and of their gifts. We're not jealous of that. Instead, we recognize that our differences and the different gifts that are in operation in us are complementary gifts that benefit all of us together. And as we do this, as we live this out like this, we honor every part of the body. We are looking for the difference in that person and we're saying, let me come alongside you, join with me, let's complement one another, let us do this together. We honor one another. If we didn't live like this, that would be a problem. See, that results, when we do that, when we live like that, that results in a healthy body that most importantly, as verse 25 states here, is not divided. Why is the church divided the way that it is? Because we are not living like this. Because we're not honoring each other. Because we're not valuing the gift that is in the other person. We say, look at me. Look at my gift. And every one of us says the same thing and very quickly, we don't want to stand to look at anybody else. Because we're looking at ourselves. But when we look at others the way that Christ sees them, and we say, oh, I value you. I look to you. You're indispensable to me. Without you, I can't do anything. And without me, you can't do anything. 
When we think of ourselves like that and we say, look, look, I'm going to stand with you, I'm going to pray with you, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to, I'm going to honor you. Where is the place for division? You may, you may have some friction as you go along. Something happens, something hurts, but you quickly resolve it. You deal with it because you say, this is what the Lord has called me to. Parts of the body working together. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I've got a little pain in my back. Back, I don't need you. I say, I've got to do something here to make sure that my back stays with the rest of my body here and supports the rest of my body. Right? I, I'll do whatever I can to deal with that. What, we, we take exactly the opposite approach, right? We say, I don't need you. I don't need you. And the Bible is saying here very clearly, we've got to be saying to one another, I, I absolutely need you. I value you. I look to you. A healthy body, a healthy, unified body, a church that is of one mind and one accord can accomplish much. A healthy body, a church that is caring and loving, caring for one another, loving one another, that will be a desirable place of healing and refuge for the hurt and the lonely. A growing body, one that is maturing, as we have just read, a church where the gifts of the Spirit are exercised will be a place where maturing disciples can grow and develop themselves. Isn't that a place that would be attractive to you? Isn't that a place where you would say, I want to be a part of that? Not to go and just see a show, but to be in a place where I'm going to grow. Amen. Right? I'm going to be able to develop and, and mature. A growing body, a, a church where the gifts of the Spirit are exercised will manifest the power of God and advance the kingdom of God. Amen. And just as I was sharing last week, that's the opportunity for us to say, let me ask the Lord and let me serve the others for the common good to discover my gifts. To say, Lord God, is this something that you're doing in me? Is this the way that you are dealing with my life? Is this the way that you're helping me to minister to somebody else? Wonderful. Lord, I step into that and I share the testimony or I do whatever is necessary. And as others encourage me in that, I'm able to keep pressing in as the Lord has called us. Uh, and now, you know, look, since the spiritual gifts are important for the church, spiritual gifts didn't cease, spiritual gifts are important because the church is still important to the Lord. He didn't say, okay, I'll, you know, I'll establish a church in the first century and after that, you know, 21 centuries after, it's up to you. You're on your own. He didn't say that. He said, until I return, I'm continuing to build the church. And what is one of the critical factors that is necessary for the continued building of the church? Spiritual gifts. And so I want to take some time to go through a list of the gifts of the Spirit. It's been a few months since we went through the list. And since I stated, stated last week, we want to be praying for every single person at New Life Church to manifest the gifts, the power, and the leading of the Holy Spirit in this new year. Don't I still have a few more weeks for this year, but in 2023, this is my prayer. That we will be saying, Lord, manifest yourself, show yourself strong in our midst. That means all of us desiring and moving in this way to say, Lord God, Holy Spirit, manifest yourself in me. It will look different for each person. This is not, this is not saying in 2023, all of us will do the same thing. Right? All of us will have the same ability. All of us will have the same capabilities or availability. No, no it's not saying that at all. 
We will all have different things going on. But we will, if we will say this to the Lord, say, Holy Spirit, you come and have your way in me. We will collectively manifest all the gifts of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit that is necessary for the building up of the church. And remember, this list of the spiritual gifts is on the church website. I've referred to it before. You can go find it. If you don't find it, communicate. Let us know. We'll get it to you. But this refresher this morning is not meant to be an exhaustive teaching. It's only a primer to whet your appetite so that you would learn more about the spiritual gifts. You would have that hunger and that thirst and you would say, Lord, I want to learn what the spiritual gifts are. I want to know what they are. And in my descriptions this morning, you'll notice that some of the gifts are blended together. For example, the, the gift of the person of a prophet and prophecy or evangelist and evangelism. I'm not, I'm not separating them out and going through a lot of detail. Uh, like I mentioned before, we'll talk about tongues and prophecy a little bit more in coming weeks. But you'll get the point as I go through this list. So as we think about this and talk about this and look at this in terms of wanting to learn more about the spiritual gifts, let's just start into the list here by saying apostleship. Right? When the Lord gives apostles, this was the ability to begin and or to oversee new churches and Christian ministries with a recognized authority from the Lord. The apostles of Christ, we refer to the apostles of Christ that we, that we see in the word of God, that are appointed by Christ himself directly either called as the disciples when he was walking on the earth or called, or Paul as he was called, and then others where Christ himself is dealing very directly with them and calling them out as apostles. You will hear a distinction made where people will talk about the apostles of Christ and the apostles of the church. And what they mean by that is apostles that were called directly by Christ himself or apostles that were later appointed by church leaders or recognized by the church as a whole or set apart to follow Christ in this way. And, and that kind of distinction makes sense. And I don't want to equate everything that the Lord called us to in the first century or the, called the church to with exactly the same thing that he's doing right now in the 21st, but clearly the continuity has to be there. God's not doing something different. He, he, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's building the same church and he's building it in, in himself in the same way. So all that he did to call apostles to himself and all that he did to make all that happen in the, in the past, he's doing that even today. Having said that, we have to be very deliberate, and some of the other gifts that, are, that I'm just about to mention, we have to be very deliberate and discerning about who is an apostle. It's not a self-proclaimed and you know, sort of self-identified role. It really has to be the recognition of what the Lord is doing, as is true for any of the gifts. Right? Let me move on. Evangelism. This is the ability to be an unusually effective instrument in leading unbelievers to a saving knowledge of Christ. There is a grace on you. There is a blessing on you. And you know, you know when you hear people like that, right, and you listen to them, and you go, wow, I mean, that, that was just powerful. That was, that was off the Lord. You can, you can share the scriptures. You can talk about stuff. You can do everything in a way that, that truly highlights the Lord and his word. But when an evangelist that is stepped into that office as a gift of God evangelizes, you can, you can, you can recognize that gift of God. So shepherd or pastor, 
This is combined with the gift of teaching. It is the ability to lead, to nourish, to protect, and to care for the needs of a whole group, uh, a flock of believers, the sheep in the fold, to care for those folks in a local church. And that would be the shepherd or the pastor role. The next one, teaching, the ability to make the truth of God's word clear and understandable so that those listening can learn and apply God's truth. It's not sufficient to simply hear the word of God, but it is necessary for us as children of God to apply it. And so the teacher's role is to share the word of God in such a way that it can be applied. It can be made clear, understandable, and it can be applied. This may happen in small or large groups. It may be for different age groups. It may be in formal or informal settings. It could be highly structured. It could be very informal structure. But the point is that there is a receiving of the word of God that is then able to bear fruit in us. Next one, leadership. This is equipping and empowering people to accomplish a shared goal. And in the context of body ministry, in the context of uh, the local church, leadership is very closely linked with teaching because we're explaining something and then saying apply this and that becomes that leadership push. And every leader, every leader, any leader, must consider themselves first as a servant, just as Jesus did. The the position of a leader is not to say, I'm the one above, I'm the one in authority, I'm the one who has the position, but rather to say, I'm the one who is serving. And as I serve, as I teach, as I declare the word of God, I'm going to help you, I'm going to lead you to apply these truths in a consistent way. Serving. This is practical service, completing practical tasks to help people and to keep everything running in good order. It takes a lot of work to keep things running in good order, sound systems and lights and ca cameras and everything else. There's a lot of work that has to go in in the back and the, you know, out, of the, out of the limelight that really has to keep things in order. So serving, these are the practical tasks to keep everything running in order. It is the ability to identify and care for the physical needs of the body of Christ through a variety of ways. Helps, the gift of helps, is the ability to enhance the effectiveness of the ministry of other members of the body. So you're helping them. You recognize in them and you say, oh, I see that you're able to do this or I see that you're called to do this or I see that you have a desire to do this. I'll help you. It's not that I'm doing it. It's not that I'm saying, oh, I don't think you can do a good job. Let me step in. No, I'll help you to learn and to develop and to grow and to minister in that way. So it helps, right? Administration, the spiritual gift of administration, not exactly the same as leadership, is the ability to steer the local church or Christian or our organizations as such, school, daycare, all of that, toward the fulfillment of its goals by managing the daily affairs and implementing necessary plans. Things have to get done. Things have to be organized. Things have to go forward on a daily basis. And you keep that moving in a certain way, that gift of administration. The next one is encouraging. And this is to come alongside somebody else, not specifically to help them. You may not be able to physically or in other ways help them or assist them in that task, but you come alongside them to support them, to motivate them, to encourage them, to counsel them. And then and you don't have to be a trained counselor to be able to say to somebody, keep going, keep going, right? You can do it. 
You can do it. Don't, don't give up. You know, I see that you kept running strong for all these years, for all this activity. Now that you're 80 or 70 or 10, don't, don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. And we want to encourage and to come alongside somebody else. Next gift is that of giving. This is not as much about the amount or proportion of what, it is, what is given. This is not where you would say, oh, the, only the wealthy have the gift of giving. Nope. Nope. This is the idea that whatever the Lord is leading you to, that you would be wisely led by the Holy Spirit to give in such a way that is spiritually fruitful. There is a way in which you can give that makes a difference, even if it is not some big amount. And clearly, as we keep encouraging and speaking about every day, or every, pardon me, every Sunday, you know, you can, you can give in generously, and you're not giving just of your treasure, your finances, your resources in that way, but you're giving of your time, you're giving of your talent, you're giving of your energy in this way. And you're saying, with all of my strength, I come and I give. When you participate in worship, when the worship team is leading, if all the people in the church are giving, right? They're giving their all to the worship. Oh, it's very encouraging. It, it builds us up. And when the person sitting next to you is singing with all that they have in them, and you say, oh, I see that this person is giving, it encourages you to give, right? And we are able to do that. By the way, if you don't sing out loudly, that's okay. I'm, I'm still talking about what's coming from within, right? Not what's coming from your mouth itself. But the giving, the time, the talent, the treasure, our energy, everything else, that we would do that by, led by the Spirit in a way that will be spiritually fruitful. The next gift is mercy. This is being specifically moved to deeply empathize with and engage in compassionate acts on behalf of people who are suffering physical, mental, or emotional distress. It is the ability to manifest concern and kindness to the poor, the sick, the weak, the prisoner, the addicted, the elderly, and others who are often marginalized. That's what mercy would require of us, that we would show mercy in those ways. All right, we're getting there. I'm a little bit over half the list. So, knowledge. And when we talk about the gift of knowledge, there are at least two forms of application. One is the ability to discover and analyze and systematize truth for the benefit of others. And this can be linked to the gift of teaching. But the second way that also knowledge can be as a gift of God is the supernatural revelation of what is happening. Knowledge or knowing something that's happening, many times, you know, some, something's going on. You go, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this person is doing this. And those are the times that we can be praying and saying, God, I need the gift of knowledge. I need to know. I need to understand. I need to comprehend what is happening here. And that gift, that supernatural revelation communicated by the spirit versus being perceived by our senses. Oh, I see this. I hear this then I think it is this. No, it's what you would perceive in the spirit and know in the spirit. And this can be linked many times to prophecy, but it should not be confused or just synonymous with prophecy, right? And it can be linked to discernment, to the idea to know the difference between good and evil. All right, wisdom, the gift of wisdom. Again, two forms of application could be the ability to apply the principles of the Word of God in a practical way to specific situations and to recommend the best course of action at the best time. Wisdom is not just knowing something, but knowing how to respond to that something. Wisdom is taking action. 
always in the word of God. Hearing is accompanied with action. Receiving a gift is accompanied with action. There's always action involved. And so you have to know. You have to know what's going on, but you have to have wisdom to say, this is what I need to do. And this is in the timing and in the sequence of what I need to, how I need to do this. And so wisdom of God um, that allows us to, to, to have that receipt from God, from the Holy Spirit, of a plan of action. And a plan of action from the Lord may be contrary to conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says do this. Conventional wisdom says don't do this. And the Lord may say the exact opposite to you. An example is Joshua and the children of Israel when they went to Jericho. Conventional wisdom would have said build battering rams or do something else to break down that wall. The Lord said march around the wall and sing. Right? Call the people to sing. Call the people to worship. Call the people to just lift up a shout. And, and all through those days that they did that, the, the people in the city in Jericho mocked them. And they said, what are you doing? So conventional wisdom will say to you, what are you doing? But you would need to have the wisdom of God to march around a city like that. Right? You can't be having your own wisdom. You will not come up with that idea. You wouldn't have said, oh, I think the way to solve this is to march around the city. Uh, sing a few songs. Right? You need the wisdom of God. It is what is necessary for us to say, I can receive the knowledge from God and then apply the wisdom of God. It's linked to prophecy, leadership, teaching, serving, all of those things, but it has to stand in this way. Faith, the gift of faith. This is the ability to have a vision for what God wants to, to be done and to confidently believe that it will be accomplished in spite of circumstances and appearance to the contrary because we receive this supernatural mountain-moving infusion of faith. You know, that, you know, when you pray for something, sometimes, and you say, oh, okay, God, I believe you, and I trust you, and so on. But sometimes when you pray, when you believe for something, when you're looking to the Lord for something, and you know faith is rising up, you know, it's, it's this infusion of faith that you go, oh, yeah, I believe. I, I, I'm, I, oh, I am, you know, I don't even see it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how this will happen, but I know this is going to happen. And when that infusion of faith comes in like that, you know this is of God. This is God lifting you up and gifting you and doing something in you in this way. Moving on, healing. This is the ability to serve as a human instrument through whom God supernaturally cures illnesses and restores health. And the possessor of this gift is not the source of the power. The person who says, through me, this healing virtue of the Lord is flowing, is just a vessel. So the healing is coming from the Lord who chooses to heal. Whether it is you know, miraculous healings of the past that has happened, whatever the way that it may take place, the person is just the vessel. They just are conduit of God's healing virtue. Miracles, again, the ability to serve as a human instrument through whom God accomplishes something that manifests supernatural power of God. A miracle takes place. And we talk about these things, you know, and we say miracle, that was a miracle. But, you know, truly, we've got to be praying that the Lord will work in us and through us miracles where the world cannot deny. It cannot say, well, that was a coincidence. You know, it just so happened that this thing and that thing. But no, the unique circumstances and the supernatural way in which it takes place, we go, that was a miracle. There's no denying it, right? Next, distinguishing of spirits. This is the ability to clearly discern the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
to have discernment about what is going on so that you can distinguish reality versus the fake, the counterfeit. You can distinguish the divine versus the demonic. You can distinguish true versus false teaching and other practices. And in some cases, you can even distinguish spiritual versus carnal motives of the person. You, you deal with the person with discernment and you say, oh, I know that this person is dealing with me as of the Lord, or they're doing it in the flesh, right? You are able to discern that. And so a lot more that could be said about each one of these things, but I want to move on. Prophecy, and prophecy tongues and interpretation of tongues at the very end here. I'm just very quickly stating it because we're going to come back to this in more detail later. Prophecy is the declaration of a word from the Lord, an anointed utterance that is according to the standard of our common faith. It is that person who is the mouthpiece, a spokesperson for the Lord. It is from the Lord to the people as opposed to a priest, the priest who stands for the people to God. Right? And so for each one of us, we are called to be a kingdom of priests, royal authority, but we're called to be priests, interceding for, standing for others, serving one another, and bringing the people's needs to the Lord. But a prophet is one who would communicate the Lord's word to the people. Right? And so there's that kind of difference. Tongues, the ability to receive and impart a spiritual message in a language or expression the recipient has never learned. And again, we'll go through this in more detail later. There are some different types of tongues and what it means and what is, why does the Bible talk about edifying yourself if it is meant to be for others. And we'll talk about orderliness and worship and so on. Remember, that's, the, that's what Paul is addressing in the Corinthian church. And then finally, interpretation of tongues, the ability to translate into the common language of the people a message that has been publicly uttered, uttered in a tongue. All right. Last week I mentioned also that there could be other possible gifts such as voluntary poverty, martyrdom, hospitality, being a missionary, intercession, exorcism, and creativity in music, craftsmanship, art, or media. And so I'll keep all of these things in mind because the important takeaways, so if you didn't catch all of the things that I just said for the past 20 minutes, the important takeaway is this. Gifts are varied, the gifts are interconnected, and most importantly, the gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ, for the common good of others. So we desire spiritual gifts, not because we say, oh, I like that one. But we say, how can I serve my brother and my sister? What can I do for the common good? What can I do to build somebody else up? Lord, give me that gift. How can I be of benefit to somebody else? Give me, Lord, to do that. Which leads us to this point, that we must evaluate the effect of spiritual gifts. We have to regularly and deliberately evaluate the effect. We have to have that self-examination and we have to have that collective examination and we have to say, Lord God, am I continuing in you or am I running in the flesh? Because it's very easy when you start to experience the power of God and the gifts of God to start running ahead, right? You say, I know, I, I got this. I got it. I know what to do, right? Or you say, oh, I've done this so many times before. I'll just do it again like that. And it'll sound okay, it'll be okay, you can do it, but you know you're not doing this in the spirit, you're doing it in your flesh, right? And the Bible tells us, why would you now try to do in the flesh what was begun in the spirit? You can't last. 
It won't have the same effect. It won't have the same impact. It needs to be evaluated. When we exercise our gifts by the Holy Spirit for the common good, we are satisfied and content in, our, in what we're doing. We're never saying, oh, we're not striving. We're not saying, I want to do more. Oh, look at that person. No, I can't do that. No, I'm going to get that. You know, we're not doing anything like that. We're just simply ministering and doing things as the Lord would lead us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're doing it for the common good. Others are edified when we do that. And the Lord is glorified when we do that. And so these are all good measures. These are good effects that should be there. And what we need to remember is that as we do this, there will be growth in number and capabilities and effective ministries and school and daycare, Bible school, launching missions. We may release new music. All these kinds of things can happen. Programs and events take place. Society could be transformed, all of that. But it can't be that those are the only measures of the work of the Spirit. It's not just about belly buttons in the pews and you know, baptisms in the pool and you know, just, uh, you know, we have a few you know, numbers, you know, money that's in the plate, you know, bucks in the plate. You know, these are all BPs, if you look it up, BPs, right? Belly buttons in the pews, baptisms in the pool, bucks in the plate. You know, these are the measures that we use. We say, oh, you know, this is how we know we're doing well. But you know what? God looks at the heart. And we must know from the Lord whether we're fulfilling his purpose and we're truly seeing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit affecting our heads, our thinking, our transformation, being renewed by, our, by the transformation of our minds, by the renewing of our minds that we would be transformed. And that the Holy Spirit would be anointing our hands so that our service, what we put our hands to, would be led of the Lord. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit is filling our hearts so that what comes out of the heart, what comes out of the heart in the abundance, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, what comes out of our mouths, what comes out in our hands, what comes out in our everyday lives, will be led by and because of the Holy Spirit. When we do all of this, when we pay attention to the Holy Spirit in this way and live according to his word in this way, when we look to him as our author and our finisher, I'll tell you this, we will not be deflated when external measures are not there or when someone criticizes us about external measure. Oh, you've been serving the Lord for so long. This church has been there for so long. Where's, ah, oh, look at that. You don't have the numbers. You don't have the resources. You know, where's the, uh, you haven't, what you've done has not amounted to much. You will be able to face any criticism. You will not be deflated by any kind of statement if you know that you are being faithful to the Lord. If you know that you're being obedient to his call. If you stay true to what he has asked you to do. Then you don't, you're not deflated by anything. But I also want to encourage you and challenge you that you will not be elated if someone does praise you. They may criticize you and you don't need to get deflated with that. But be careful also not to go by the praise of people and get elated. You say, oh, this person told me I did a good job. I must be doing a good job, right? <laughs> Pretty soon you'll start believing it of yourself when more people tell you things like that. And you tell yourself that. You have to be careful. Just say, no, I'm not going to be deflated and I'm not going to be elated. 
I'm simply going to be looking to the Lord Jesus. I'm going to be related to him. And because I'm related to him, I will have the life and the strength that I need. Our response this morning, in terms of all of these things, this response that we would respond and apply is the very same statement that was up there last week. Because in response to learning about the spiritual gifts in the Bible, I want to challenge you that you would say, God, I desire for your gifts in me. And I want to exercise these gifts. I want these gifts to be working in my life. I want these gifts to be working in my brother and my sister. I want my church to be just flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't need for every single person to have every gift. But I do, I do want for every single person to have at least one gift. Something in which they're exercising and moving in these ways. Oh Lord, do this work in me. I desire it and I want to exercise it. Start praying like that. Do you think the Lord will say to you, no? If he's told you all this in the word, if he's given these commands, if he's saying eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, if he's telling you these are the gifts that are there and this is for the building up of the church, now when you pray, the Bible says, you will have what you have asked for when you pray according to his will. What's his will? That you will have the spiritual gifts. So pray with confidence. Pray and say, Lord, help me to have the gifts. Help me to discover my gifts. Help me to exercise my gifts. Help me to see the benefit coming from that exercising of the gifts. Help the, help the church to be built up. I just read an article even this morning that actually said, church attendance is declining. And people are changing what it means to be a church. We have to pay attention to all the things that happen. But I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. If we will live according to what the word has actually called us to do, I think church would be the most attractive place that people would want to be at. We have not done it. We have made the church unattractive. And so people say, I don't want to go to church. There's nothing there for me. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to change because you have somebody up front. It will take the whole body being healthy. All the members working together. Every member of the body of Christ valuing the other. Seeing the other person as indispensable. Coming together in these ways. Praying together. Striving together. Laboring together, serving together in the church and outside the church, doing these things in such a way that we say, oh, God, do your work. And when we do that together as a church, I don't think there'll be room enough in any church. But let's do that. Let's press in so that we say, Lord God, give me everything that you want to give me so that I will do everything that you want me to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word is good to us, that your word is rich and powerful and full, and Lord, it teaches us so much about these gifts, and we desire the spiritual gifts. We desire, Lord, to live and to move and to have our being in the spirit. And Lord, as we do that, as we live out that way, I pray that our lives will touch the lives of many others. I pray that this church 
will be a place of life. It'll be a place of refuge. It'll be a place of comfort, healing, deliverance, joy, peace. Lord God, especially in this season, in this time when we celebrate the greatest gift of all, we do in fact ask you for your gifts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.